there are more than 2.4 million prisoners in the United States of America. Since the year 2000, the total number of women serving in the United States has increased by 50%, while the male prison population has grown about 18%. It is now estimated that one in every 30 men will spend at least some time behind bars. According to the Innocence Project, between 2.3% and 5% of all U.S. prisoners are innocent. The American prison population numbers about 2.4 million, so using those numbers, as many as 120,000 innocent people could currently be behind bars. So prepare yourself as we go in to the prison series. Today we'll be talking about Cameron Todd Willingham. And just as a brief disclaimer, this one, this one's gonna hurt. It was December 23rd, 1991. A fire destroyed the Corsicana, Texas home of Cameron Todd Willingham that he shared with his wife, Stacy, and their three daughters, two-year-old Amber, Cooking Doll and one-year-old twins, Carmen and Cameron Willingham. The fire killed the three girls while Cameron, who was asleep when the fire started, survived. His wife was at the Salvation Army buying Christmas presents for the girls. According to the New Yorker, Buffy Barbie, who was 11 years old and lived two houses down, was playing in her backyard when she smelled the smoke. She ran inside and told her mother, Diane, and they hurried up the street. That's when they say they saw the smoldering house and Cameron Todd standing on the front porch wearing only a pair of jeans, his chest blackened with soot, his hair and eyelids singed. He was screaming, my babies are burning, my babies are burning up. His children, Carmen and Cameron, who were the one-year-old twins and the two-year-old Amber, were trapped inside. Willingham told the Barbies to call the fire department, and while Diane raced down to the street to get help, he found a stick and broke the children's bedroom window. Fire lashed through the hole. Cameron broke another window. Flames burst through it, too, and he retreated into the yard, kneeling in front of the house, screaming inconsolably. And then he would fall silent, as if he had blocked the fire out of his mind. Diane Barbie returned to the scene, could feel the intense heat radiating off the house. Moments later, the five windows of the children's room exploded and flames blew out, as Barbie put it. Within minutes, the first firemen had arrived and Willingham had approached them, shouting that his children were still in the bedroom, where the flames were the thickest. A fireman sent word over the radio and for the rescue teams to step on it. Cameron Todd Willingham looked on, appearing to grow more hysterical as the police chaplain named George Monahan led him to the back of a fire truck and tried to calm him. Cameron explained that his wife Stacy had gone out earlier that morning and that he had been jolted from his sleep by Amber screaming for him, Daddy, Daddy, wake up. My little girl was trying to wake me up and tell me about the fire, he said. I, I couldn't get them out. While he was talking, a fireman emerged from the house, cradling Amber, as she was given CPR. Cameron, who was 23 years old and powerfully built, ran to see her, and then suddenly heading towards the baby's rooms. The Monahan and another man had to restrain him. They said we had to wrestle with him and then handcuff him for his and everyone else's protection, Monahan told the police. I received a black eye. 
One of the first firemen at the scene told investigators that, at an earlier point, he had also held a Cameron back. Based on what I saw and how the fire was burning, it would have been crazy for anybody to try to go into that house. At Cameron Willingham's 1992 trial, prosecutors claimed he intentionally set fire to his home in order to kill his own children. The state fire marshal's office concluded that the fire must have been caused by arson, citing evidence that a liquid accelerant was used to make it burn fast and hot. Police arrested Cameron immediately for murder. Prosecutors alleged he must have set fire to cover up evidence of child abuse, despite no evidence of any previous child abuse ever being reported. During the interrogation, the lead investigator asked Carmen Willingham if he had tried to put shoes on before the, fleeing the house. He said, no, sir, Willingham replied. This answer was all the investigator needed to be convinced that Willingham had killed his own children. If the floor had been soaked with a liquid accelerant and the fire had burned low as the evidence suggested, Cameron could not have run out of the house the way he had described without badly burning his feet. A medical report indicated that his feet were unscathed. Willingham insisted that he had left the house, the fire was still around the top of the walls and not on the floor. I didn't have to jump through any flames, he explained. The investigator simply believed that that was impossible, and that Cameron must have lit the fire, and as he was retreating, first torching the children's rooms, then the hallway, and then from the porch, the front door. The investigator relayed, he told me a story of pure fabrication. He just talked and he talked, and all he did was lie. His decision was clearly made before the interrogation had even begun. So he is convicted based on the testimony of forensic experts who said they had determined that the fire was intentionally set, and later a jailhouse snitch said Cameron Willingham had randomly confessed to him. On October 29, 1992, he was sentenced to death. John Jackson, the prosecutor who sent Willingham to death row, would tell PBS, he was an individual with essentially no redeeming value. This was his crowning achievement as a psychopath, the murder of his three children. Now Jackson, he was a tried and true to the bone jackass. During the penalty phase of the trial, this moron called a witness to testify nothing more than that Cameron had a skull tattoo in a heavy metal poster indicating that this must have made him a violent Satan worshiper. That's it. He just called somebody in to make an archaic judgment call on Cameron's tastes in tattoos and music. Tim Gregory, an apparent psychologist who had once gone hunting with Jackson but never spoke with him as a client, it, like he just went on a hunting trip with the prosecutor. Uh, he examined photographs of Willingham's wall hangings and told the court, all of these are in fire depicting uh, it reminds me of something like hell and there's a picture a led zeppelin picture of a falling angel there's an association there that i've seen many times with cult-like activities uh, a focus on death dying many times individuals that have a lot of this type of art have an interest in in satanic type activities that that's yep uh, it's important to note that this idiot, Tim, had a master's degree, sure, but it was in marriage and family issues, and he had not published any research in any sort of sociopathic behavior or any psychology. His practice was devoted to family counseling, so there was absolutely no reason for him to be making any sort of statement. You might as well, have, like if Facebook existed, you might as well have just gone into the Facebook comments and be like, oh, look, look at what this boomer says about this Led Zeppelin poster. All the same, 
At one point, Jackson showed Gregory Exhibit Number 60, a photograph of an Iron Maiden poster that hung in Willingham's house, and asked the psychologist to interpret it. Mm, yes, uh, this one is a picture of a skull with a fist being punched through the skull, Gregory said. This image displays violence and death. Iron Maiden, guys. Plays on 97.7 Golden Oldie Station. That uh, plays in grocery stores now. So during uh, Willingham's trial, some eyewitnesses claimed that Willingham had tried to save the children, while others said he just sat and watched the fire burn. The local police chaplain that first said Willingham was absolutely distraught and, oh, I received a black eye and, oh, you know, I had to calm him down. Now was like, well, he seemed to be hiding something. No idea why he just betrayed this man this way. Still, there was no clear motive. The children had life insurance policies, but they amounted to only $15,000. And Stacy's grandfather, who had paid for them, was the only primary beneficiary. Stacy told investigators that even though Willingham had in fact hit her in the past, he had never abused the children. Our kids were spoiled rotten, she said, and she didn't believe for even a second that Cameron Todd Willingham would have killed them. After Texas forensic experts presented evidence of arson, the most powerful testimony came from a man named Johnny Webb, the prison inmate who claimed Willingham had confessed to setting the fire to him. Webb said Cameron told him he intended to blaze to cover up an injury inflicted on one of the girls by his wife. None of the girls' remains, however, displayed any signs of abuse. It was then in 2014, Johnny Webb recanted his testimony, saying he agreed to say what John Jackson wanted him to in exchange for reduced prison time. Which is... Insane. Also adding to this kangaroo court of bullshit was Dr. James Grigson, a psychiatrist nicknamed Dr. Death, for his testimony preceding suspects being sentenced to capital punishment. This maniac stated in court that Cameron Todd was an extremely severe psychopath that no pill could help. Three years later, the American Psychiatric Association would expel Dr. Grayson for violating ethics, stating that he repeatedly made a psychiatric diagnosis without first examining the individuals in question and for indicating while testifying in court as an expert witness that he could predict with 100% certainty that the individuals would engage in future violent acts. In, right? Right? <laughs> Cameron's own lawyers had already decided he was guilty as well. At one point, they confronted his father and stepmom. Uh, according to Eugenia, the stepmom, his lawyer showed them photographs of the burned children and said, look what your son did. You have to talk him into pleading or he's going to be executed psycho behavior the trial lasted only two days and the jury took only an hour to decide that cameron was guilty john jackson gave himself a pat on the back with a paraphrased bible verse from the gospel of matthew because of course he fucking did whomsoever shall harm one of my children it's better for a millstone to be hung around his neck and for him to be cast into the sea like of course of course this guy's a fucking self-proclaimed christian right during his time, Cameron shared a cell with Ricky Lee Green, a serial killer who castrated and fatally stabbed his victims, including a 16-year-old boy. Another of Willingham's cellmates had an IQ below 70 and the emotional development of an 8-year-old was, was often raped by inmates. 
He said, the little retarded boy, there was this guy here on the wing who is a shit sorry coward, who is the same one I got into with a little month ago. Well, he raped my other cellmate in a three-row shower week before last. Willingham explained that he couldn't believe that someone would rape a boy who could not even defend himself. It was all pretty damn low in here. Just pretty soft way of putting it. But now, uh, Cameron, Cameron Todd here, was openly known as a baby killer because of this conviction. He was obviously the target of attacks. So prison is a rough place, and with a case like mine, they never give you the benefit of the doubt, he wrote his parents after he tried to fight one prisoner who threatened him. Cameron told a friend that if he hadn't stood up for himself, several inmates were planning to beat him and rape him repeatedly. Over the years, Willingham Letters' home became increasingly despaired. This is a hard place. It makes a person hard inside. I told myself that one thing I did not want was for this place to make me bitter, but it is hard. He went on, They have executed at least one person every month since I have been here. It is senseless and brutal. We're not living in here. We're only existing. In 1996, he wrote, i just been trying to figure out why, after having a wife and three beautiful children that I loved, my life has to end like this. Sometimes it just seems like it's not worth it at all. In the three and a half years I've been here, I have never felt that my life was worthless and desolate as it is now. Cameron wrote in a personal diary that his mind deteriorated with each passing day. He grew more lethargic, more dead inside, and stated that no god who cared about his creation would abandon the innocent like this. He claimed that he was already dead inside, and no longer feared attacks, and no longer feared the inevitable death. He watched people he came to know in prison get escorted into the execution chamber. There was Clifton Russell Jr., who at the age of 18 stabbed and beat a man to death, and said in his last statement, I thank my father, God in heaven, for the grace he has granted me. I am ready. There was Jeffrey Dean Motley, who kidnapped and fatally shot a woman, and declared in his final words, I love you, Mom. Goodbye. And there was John Fearance, who murdered his neighbor, and who turned to God in the last moments and said, I hope he will forgive me for what I have done. And now, as years later, the prison informant, Johnny Webb, was facing a long sentence for robbery. And the prosecutor had convinced him that Cameron was guilty. He took the deal as the Washington Post and Marshall Project reported. Your story doesn't have to match exactly, Webb said. That uh, Webb said Jackson had told him. He says, look, I just want you to say that he put fires in the corners. I need you to be able to say that so we can convict him. Otherwise, he's, we're going to have a murderer running on our streets. And in fact, Webb said Cameron never told him anything. They didn't talk. He said, look, I, di I didn't want to see Cameron go to the death row and die for something I damn well knew was a lie and something I didn't initiate. Webb would later add, I lied on the man because I was being forced to by John Jackson to do so. I succumbed to pressure when I shouldn't have. In the end, I was told, you're either going to get a life sentence or you're going to testify. He coerced me to do it. In the year 2000, a Dallas Morning News investigation revealed that roughly a quarter of inmates condemned to death in Texas were represented by court-appointed attorneys who had, at some point in their careers, been reprimanded, placed on probation, suspended, or banned by practicing law by the official state bar. So, that's crazy. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat it, because that's insane. In the year 2000, 
a Dallas Morning News investigation revealed that roughly a quarter of the inmates condemned to death in Texas were represented by court-appointed attorneys who had at some point in their careers been reprimanded, placed on probation, suspended, or banned from practicing law. Insane. Now, 13 years behind bars and the days leading up to Willingham's execution, his attorney sent the governor and the Board of Pardon and Parole a report from Gerald Hurst, a nationally recognized arson expert, saying that Cameron Todd's conviction was based on erroneous forensic ex analysis. To assemble the report, Hurst said he conducted and recorded an experiment for each piece of evidence that had originally been presented. He then presented his findings, which he said systematically proved each original conclusion was completely wrong. The original investigator said cited proof of arson with the fact that the front door's aluminum threshold had melted. The only thing that can cause that to react is an accelerant, they had claimed. But Hearst used simple science to show that a natural wood fire could easily reach temperatures as high as 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is far hotter than the melting point of aluminum alloys, which ranges from 1,000 to 1,200 degrees. The original investigators who mistakenly assumed that wood charring beneath the aluminum threshold was evidence that a liquid accelerant flowed underneath and was burned. Hearst simply displayed that such charring was caused by the aluminum conducting so much heat. In fact, when liquid accelerant is poured underneath a threshold, a fire will simply extinguish because, duh, lack of oxygen. Anyone that's ever had a backyard bonfire knows this. He went through lengthy processes to further show that Cameron's feet would ne not necessarily have been burned, as he said in his initial interrogation. He hadn't jumped through flames. He didn't need to. Neighbors noted themselves that when windows bursted, the fire exploded from the rush of oxygen. The fire trailed after Cameron once he opened the door because fires follow the quickest form of ventilation, so they had not yet consumed those areas. It should also be noted that the initial investigators purposely noted a lighter fluid bottle being found, but purposely didn't mention that it was found next to a fucking grill in the backyard where people would naturally keep a bottle. So based on that evidence, Hearst had little doubt that it was an accidental fire, one caused most likely by a space heater or faulty electrical wiring. It explained also why there had never been a motive for the crime. Hearst concluded that there is no evidence of arson and that a man who had already lost three children and spent 12 years in jail and was about to be executed on junk science. This had to be fixed, right? So uh, February 14th, 2004, Cameron Todd... Uh, the lawyers presented Dr. Hearst's new report to the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles, as well as to Texas Governor Rick Perry, and neither of those offices responded. They simply did not give a shit. Didn't even look at it. Just days from when Cameron was scheduled to be executed, he got a call from Reeves, his latest attorney. Reeves told him that the 15 members of the Board of Pardons and Parolees, which reviews and applications for clemency and had been sent Hearst's report, had made the decision. What is it? William said. I'm sorry, Reeves said. They denied your petition. The vote was unanimous. Reeves couldn't offer an explanation. The board deliberates in secrets and its members are not bound by any specific criteria to explain why. The board members did not even have to review it. Uh, and they usually don't debate a case in person. Rather, they cast their votes by facts. A process that has been known now as death by fax machine. 
The Innocence Project obtained through the Freedom of Information Act all the records from the governor's office and the board pertaining to the Hearst report. The documents show that they received the report, but neither office had any record of anybody even acknowledging it, taking note of its significance, responding to it, or calling any attention to it within the government. The only reasonable conclusion is that the governor's office and the board of pardons and parolees simply chose to ignore scientific evidence. So three days later, Cameron would be murdered by the state via lethal injection. Throughout his years in incarceration, Cameron made a friend through letters. It was a lady by the name of Elizabeth Gilbert. They met in person, and she truly was an incredible part of Cameron growing as a person and keeping him sane inside, but now she felt as if she had failed him. She helped his cases and tried to help him have hope even in the darkest of hours. He told her that it was enough to be a part of your life in some small way that in my passing, I know I was at least able to have felt the heart of another who might remember me when I'm gone. There's nothing to forgive you for. He would ask her to be present for his execution, to which she agreed. Fortunately, on the day of his murder, Cameron's parents and several relatives gathered in the prison visiting room. As he looked up at the group, he kept asking where Elizabeth was. She had recently been driving home from a store when another car ran a red light and totaled her vehicle, and she would be taken to the ICU, paralyzed from the neck down. Cameron Willingham's mother and father began to cry, but Cameron said to them, Don't be sad, Mama. In 55 minutes, I'm a free man. I'm going home. I'm going home to see my kids. Earlier, he confessed to his parents that there was one thing about the day of the fire he had lied about. He said that he never actually crawled into the children's room. I just... I didn't want people to think I was a coward. People who have never been in a fire, they don't understand why those who survive can't rescue the victims. It's, they have no concept of what being in a fire is like. When it came time to the lethal injection, several guards would strap Cameron down with leather belts and buckles. A medical team then inserted intravenous tubes into his arms. Each official had a separate role in the process to res relieve any one person of feeling solely guilty for murdering someone. His last words would be, the only statement I want to make is that I am innocent man convicted of a crime I did not commit. I have been persecuted for 12 years for something I did not do. From God's dust I came, and to dust I will return, so the earth shall become my throne. The warden pushed the final button on the controls, which released sodium thinopol. It's a barbiturate, an anesthetic which acts as a downer, disrupting the communication between the mind and the body, rendering a person unconscious, putting them into a deep trance, almost asleep. People see lethal injection as the humane form of murdering an inmate, but in reality, it's closer to the worst case of sleep paralysis one could ever imagine. The second ingredient is pancuronium bromide, which paralyzes the diaphragm, making it impossible to breathe. So as one lies there in a state of half dreams, your chest suddenly stops working, and the oxygen supply is cut off. Finally, potassium chloride would fill his veins. The overflow of potassium interferes with the electrical impulses of the muscles, causing cardiac arrest. This causes a fatal heart attack to occur in the state of being half awake. Heart attacks are incredibly painful. This entire process generally takes up to 10 minutes, 
but in some cases it has been known to take much, much longer. Cameron Todd Willingham's heart would stop and he would be pronounced dead at 6.20 p.m. <laughs> 